Hi, this is Jim from Safety Wars. Before we start the program, I want to make sure everyone understands that we often talk about OSHA and EPA citations, along with some other regulatory actions from other agencies, legal cases, and criminal activity. Everyone is innocent until proven guilty in a court of law. Proposed fines are exactly that, and they are often litigated, reduced, or vacated. We use available public records, news accounts, and press releases. We cannot warranty or guarantee the details of any of the stories we share, since we are not directly involved with these stories, at least not most of the time. Enjoy the show. This, 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 this show is brought to you by Safety FM. And from the border of Liberty and Prosperity in the highway to the north, this is Safety Wars for Friday, January 5th. 2024. One of my uh, friends did a phenomenal video today. Phenomenal. She was so good uh, doing it on uh, Instagram. Unfortunately, she gave the wrong year. Looking forward to like uh, 2023, and I thought, well, it might be a leftover thing from 2023, like a reshare, something like that. And it wasn't. Well, stuff happens, especially on this program here. Yes, I do have a JCP technical jersey on for those of you in, uh, for those of you in, uh, on the video feed. Uh, trying to get everything up here. I don't know if I am broadcasting on video or not, but that's okay. We're worried about more about, uh, the audio feed. So give me a second here. Let's make sure we got it. No, it's not going. That's okay. Okay, let's try this again. And then we're just going to go and we're going to do it. Give me a second here. Kind of what... Uh, the reason why I want to make sure we got the video is that we have some visual aids here for uh, those of you on everything else. Hold on. MP4 and hang on. I don't know. Uh, very frustrating here with this stuff. All right. So. We got a lot going on here with uh, uh, that's happened today with a lot of different things. Uh, the last couple of uh, days I've been, uh, no, I have uh, basically what the way things are working is, is that I have a normal gig uh, that I have to go to and I uh, like a joint venture type of thing. And which means that I'm not working at all uh, every day on that gig. So, I work and then someone else takes over for a couple of days and then, you know, we can switch back and forth and everything. So this was like my week off and a lot of off from that gig, but I've been working and I've gotten a lot of really unusual things going on. And, you know, we'll share those as we go on uh, with everything. Okay. And we are certain that we do have these streams going and we have all the visual stuff going and we're on Facebook and X and Instagram and Facebook and Twitch and YouTube. 
LinkedIn and Telegram. Uh, we got all this stuff going on, and we'll also uh, we'll probably do a broadcast this weekend uh, because we're supposed to be snowed in by the worst snowstorm in a hundred years. I'm just saying that, but that's the way that they're portraying it here in uh, uh, upstate New York. And someone said, "Well, it's Rockland County. It's not really upstate. Well, it's upstate to people in Long Island, you know, and whatever." Okay, we're like in the southern upstate New York. I digress. New City is about 20 minutes south of West Point, uh, for those of you out there. Now, I was uh, doing some uh, respiratory training work this week with uh, one of my customers, and there are a lot of, uh, now thanks to the way that COVID was handled, and, you know, the most deadly uh, virus that's ever existed in the history of mankind, Right, and they said it was so deadly that we were issuing face coverings, right, and not N95 respirators. We didn't have enough of them. We weren't really prepared, and things of that nature. And as I point out, somewhat infrequently, one of the reasons why we have safety wars, one of the reasons why we're doing this, is because. When I was doing work with the Centers for Disease Control on the anthrax cleanups, it was very, and I, I really can't get into all the details, but it was very apparent to me that we're not prepared for a pandemic in this. And this was 2001 into 2002. We're not prepared for a pandemic. And then we had other things come up. We had MRSA come up. We had SARS come up. We had Ebola come up. We had a lot of these things. And... They had plenty of chances to correct, to improve. But what happens is, like well, a lot of the things, programs we have here, we're going to be revisiting some of these topics. We have the thing called like the issue attention cycle, where everyone thinks that everything is resolved, basically, and it's not resolved. It's just out of the public uh, thing. And then you have the Hegelian dialectic thrown in there, problem, reaction, solution, where someone goes out and freaks out and, ah, problem, problem, problem. And then all of a sudden, what happens? No problem, problem, problem. Oh, we have the solution. And blah, blah, problem, reaction, solution. So they're in control of defining the problem. They're reacting to the problem. And of course, there's solution. And we have all this stuff going on. And so this one, in 2010, all this stuff went uh, by the wayside, all this preparation and domestic preparation. And there was a lot of stuff because people relied on some of these platforms that are out there for information on COVID. And this is where you had the, it's a hoax, it's this, it's that. And we have some uh, information on COVID if we get to it, but we're going to talk about respirators. Now, last night's show, we had several technical difficulties. Here. Nothing seemed to work right. So I needed to do some editing. We'll probably be releasing that over the weekend here. Uh, you folks here that were listening live on Safety FM, no, 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 they're probably one home. Jay Allen probably got a bunch of emails. Did you see here that last time? You know, but hey, it is what it is. We're not perfect here. And of course, computers and internet connections and everything else are not perfect. Uh, anyway, 
What, what else is going on here? I wanted to thank, if uh, you weren't listening, all the support that uh, we got with our uh, broadcast earlier this week. Uh, well, I got some criticisms because, oh, you're not a medical doctor. I said, if you listen to the, do- the, the program, I say I'm not a medical doctor. And see your medical doctor. I'm just asking questions. And I think, and by the way, the peer-reviewed data that I use where... Uh, if uh, just for a review where people are uh, on, there's something like 200 different common medications that cause uh, depression, that attribute that have been associated with depression, either causing depression or making it worse, right? And a lot of those real common ones were associated with suicidal ideation, right? Where People think about suicide, and by the way, if you need help, go get help, please. We need you. We need you there to fight the safety war, all right, where we have, uh, 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 you know, where we have all this stuff going on, and no, uh, check it out with your loved ones, check it out with your doctor and everything else. Say, hey, look, I'm a, I got to prescribe this medication that might make me a little loopy here just to let you know. Until we get settled in here, or you know, if I act, start acting this, and you know, it's a medical thing, and I'll try to help, sort of thing. And uh, again, that's all that we're saying here: awareness, questions. A lot of peer-reviewed data that I shared with you folks, the articles said more research is needed. Now, this is what we think. This is one of this, but we need more research on this. To, uh, and there's a lot of barriers for that research, one of them being HIPAA, right? Privacy laws. Uh, when people are sued and when doctors are sued and medical systems are sued, uh, normally there's an NDA, non-disclosure agreement, as part of the settlement. Uh, my, one of my, father, my father was involved in one of these extremely high-profile cases. He wasn't allowed to discuss it at all. I found out about it doing a Google search. I asked him about it. He says, yeah, yeah, it's on the internet, but I'm not allowed to discuss it. So a lot of these cases may come up with people having bad reactions to medications, and guess what? They can't discuss it. That's a real thing. All right? That absolutely is a real thing. Now, uh, respirators. Because we had a lot of people with the misinformation, we're going to talk about respirators. And I grabbed the official OSHA respiratory protection uh, PowerPoints right off their website, open source. Uh, I do use a set also. However, I'm not going to put them on the Internet for free. Right? Uh, we're, if we're uh, putting together an LMS system, learning management system in the future, We'll use them for that or with clients here. And the other thing is this. They're open source. They're available for you. You just go on to OSHA website and they're there. So I modify them a little bit. We're going to talk about specifically air purifying respirators. Uh, we're going to go to commercial break and we will be back. Hold on. 
In the professional safety community, communication and planning are just a few keys to your program's success. The question many practitioners have is, where do I start? Dr. Jay Allen, the creator of the Safety FM platform and host of the Rated R Safety Show, has built a global foundation to help you along the way. Go to safetyfm.com and listen to some of the industry's best and most involved professionals, including Blaine Hoffman with the Safety Pro, Sam Goodman with the Hop Nerd, Sheldon Primus with the Safety Consultant, Jim Pozell with Safety Wars, Emily Elrod with Unapologetically Bold, and many others. As individuals, we can do great things, but as a team, we become amazing. Dial into safetyfm.com today and surround yourself with a powerful force of knowledge and support. OSHA recordables, catastrophic losses, environmental disasters. You want answers? So do I. This is Jim Polzel with Safety Wars. That's my daddy. Yes, Jessica, I am your father. I got more comments about that than anything. Now, the thing is with the respiratory protection standard is that the... uh, uh, it's a vertically, into uh, horizontally integrated standard. Vertical up and down, horizontal. Meaning that if no matter what word, world you're in with uh, in OSHA, construction, general industry, maritime, which includes shipyards, marine terminals, longshoring, or agriculture, it's all the same. They all refer to 1910-134, as the standard for, uh, as a standard for respiratory protection, and now I thought that we would have been over this. Now, if you ask me, nineteen ninety five, uh, ninety six, when this standard came out, I thought that we'd be over this already, where people would know, especially the employers, hey, you have to do certain things. But that's not what happened. Uh, OSHA has not gotten into this. The health and safety professionals out there have not really been talking about this because respiratory protection is one of those things that uh, people have a block on as far as sharing information on it, telling other people, because you get pushback. So, for example, I always tell people the most difficult training that I do is knots. Yes, knots with, like, rope. Why? Because it's usually an older adult, when you're growing up, an adult shows you, or it could be a sibling. So we're talking a scoutmaster. We're talking a, uh older sibling, a father, an uncle, grandfather. This is for men that normally go in and talk, tell you about knots. Whether you're using the knots in some type of a rigging system, you're using knots for hooks or anything else. So when you go and you start to say, well, look, the bowlin knot is not the knot for fall protection. That's not the standard for that. There are other knots involved. Basically, the figure eight family of knots, and there, but that's not all there is. There are other techniques and everything. 
Right off the bat, what do they do? They shut off. They, they shut up. Oh, no, no, you don't know what you're talking about. I'm, we're not going to do that. And it's a similar thing with uh, safety-toed shoes, or what I'm going to call the steel toe. But they're not steel toe. I know they're composite, but I'm old-fashioned. All right. Well, I had an uncle, grandfather, great-grandfather, no, mothers, uncles, cousins, best friends, roommate, that was working in Skid Row up in the Pacific Northwest, or it might be a shipyard, but whatever it is, it's the story is always the same, and people have always laughed because they all I share this with other safety professionals because they always say, say, yeah, 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 you're right. This is, uh, you know, we always hear this, and guess what? Uh, they were there was a nine ton weight on a crane dropped from uh usually it had to be like seven or eight stories right and then it fell on my on his foot and if it weren't for that damn steel toe boot he would still have his foot it's like really <laughs> you're relying on a steel toe for the number one number two it was never designed for that uh and so no, I said it was designed for, uh, you know, uh, something like a 50-pound weight from about that high, right? I think it's 1,500 joules of force. And, uh, you know, it's really incidental stuff, not for that thing. So uh, I'm not exactly sure why that Pacific Northwest story really uh, applies to a construction site. But anyway, I digress. But you get that. But you get it with respiratory protection, especially with now with the COVID because everyone all of a sudden has become an expert in respiratory protection. I still learn, and I had a listener here email me, hey, Jim, maybe you kind of need some clarification here. Maybe you need to write the last time I talked about it. I thanked them. I said, you know what? That's good. And you sent me information. And I said, great. Phenomenal. We're going to integrate that information into there, and thank you for uh, saying no. Not, not that I was wrong, but it could have been uh, described better. And great, very difficult with people who do that uh, with that uh, with that with the respiratory protection uh, here, especially with that. So that's what the standard is. So it applies. No, it's a horizontal uh, standard. It goes applies to everything here, and. This is basically the whole standard. So you have permissible practice, definitions, programs, selection. We're not, we're going to go through all of this. Big thing is that I want to point out medical evaluation. You need to have people medically evaluated for this stuff. You need to have fit testing. You have to have training on the use of respirators and their maintenance. And we're talking about air purifying respirators, not supplied air respirators, but we have regulations concerning breathing air quality, identification of the cassettes, training and information. You have to have a periodic program reevaluation, which we do uh, for clients every uh, January because not much is going on in January except the last this year, right? And people want to have to update their evaluations, record keeping, and different date, right, dates. No, but those were the days, implementation dates. And then you had different appendices on here that you had uh, to comply with. Now, the problem here is this, with this, is that old-fashioned, I'm sorry for going back and forth, uh, 
hierarchy of controls. Because we know that PPE and personal protective equipment is like the last thing that you want to rely on, especially with a respiratory hazard. You want to try to eliminate the hazard, maybe get a, 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 a less hazardous material that you're dealing with so it's not a respiratory hazard if it's a cleaner or something. You want to have some type of engineering control like an enclosure, confinement, ventilation, so something like that you want to have done. Before you start to get into the administrative controls, which are rules, and we all know that people are of the opinion, hey, rules are meant to be broken. We hear that all the time, uh, especially from uh, certain 11-year-olds. And you also uh, hear, uh, you also hear, uh, uh, no, you're relying on people to do things 100% right all of the time. As we know from COVID, that's not realistic. There have been peer-reviewed studies uh, of, on nurses in Northern Europe who were, who were wearing uh, their quote-unquote masks, right? We'll talk more about that in a minute. Uh, that uh, that uh, uh, essentially they said, yeah, well, when we went to itch our nose with the mask on, uh, you know, with the mask on, we took it off, her, and that's when we got the COVID. Okay, that happens. Because I think it's unreasonable to have people in a workplace wear a face covering or a mask or a respirator for eight hours a day or 10 hours a day. Not feasible. The same thing as this at home. Not so that you're going to wear respirators at home. I mean, if you want to knock yourself out and do it, go on ahead uh, because we have COVID coming back now, and so a lot of work place people are doing that i know uh, when i recently had covid i don't on three weeks ago i was banished to the basement by my family and uh now uh when i ever i went up to do whatever go to the bathroom get a cup of coffee because we all know how much coffee i drink they uh, you know hey you're wearing your mask sort of thing and they were wearing theirs uh so uh, basically, when en effective engineering controls are not feasible or while they are being instituted, appropriate respirators shall be used pursuant to the standard 1910-134. Employers shall provide respirators when necessary, which are applicable and suitable for the purpose intended. That's the same thing. If you have a hazard, make sure you have the appropriate respirator. And employers shall be responsible for the establishment and maintenance of a respiratory protection program. So what's an employee exposure? Exposure to concentration of an airborne contaminant that would occur if the employee were not using respiratory protection, right? So that would be an employee exposure. Uh, why did I even leave that one in there? So this is what we're basically looking at. Now, what we're typically in with the air purifying respirators, what you're looking at is either a full face piece or a half mask. Uh, I recently threw out from my father's machine shop the quarter mask respirator. He actually had a quarter mask respirator in there. Uh, in there, uh, I mean, it was, I mean, it, it had to go, sort of thing. And the other thing is a mouthpiece and nose clamp. Uh, well, maybe if you're ever watched that movie Das Boot. Right, that German submarine movie from the 1970s, phenomenal movie. I love the movie. Uh, 
That's what they were wearing on that submarine was the mouthpiece and those came. I've never seen that in real life anywhere. I don't even know if they make it anymore. And the quarter mats, I don't know if they even make it anymore. But what we're talking about is full face piece and half mask respirators. Half face piece. There are other types. So, for example, the hood, the helmet, loose fitting, face piece. These are all supplied air or the fully encapsulating full body suit. I'll put them in there just to point out with me, I would not be able to be in compliance with the standard. Why? I didn't shave for a couple of days because I knew I was going to be doing this class and I wanted to make sure we had that. So in my community here, uh, Rockland County, we have a lot of people who are of a religion of a faith uh, tradition that requires them to grow beards. Right, uh, and they cannot wear half mask or full face piece respirator. They gotta wear a hood, and which means you have to have supplied air. Some of them are powered air purifying respirators and things of that nature, where they have to have that on there. So a hood may be appropriate. I know in Israel, very they've come out with multiple designs for this because uh, you know culturally people have beards there, so. How to uh, a, a filter, different types, right? Uh, 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 a component respirator to remove solid and liquid aerosols from the inspired air, meaning inhaled air, also called an air purifying respirator. So you have to match up. This is what happens. And then you have a canister or a cartridge with that. Negative pressure respirator. It's real simple. Here we have a half face face respirator. Right now, you got to know, you got to have it in a bag. This is an OSHA uh, citation if you don't have that. It's got to be in a container in a bag. You can't have this, and I see people all the time, right? <laughs> yes, I do. <laughs> no, they're driving around. This is, uh, no, we used to have fuzzy dice for the uh, rearview mirror. They, you know, they put this on, you know, they're painters or whatever. They're driving around with this on that. So, no, no. So, I have a rule when I'm working with people, I'm the responsible party, I'm the program administrator, which I get hired as a program administrator often for respirator programs as a rule. And we have a sign-off sheet. So if you are a uh, safety professional, you make sure that when you're doing this stuff, you have a sign-off sheet and you have instructions on there. Like... The respirator, one of mine are, the respirator is either on your face or in a bag unless it's being cleaned and you need to air dry it. Why? I, uh, there was a very well-known client who actually manufactures, not this brand, but another brand of respirators that they got whacked for 15 respirators not being in bags and improper storage. Bad Bad, bad. I mean, you know, get a Ziploc bag or another kind of bag. They're cheap enough, right, with us. Now, how does this work? Real simple. You inhale and air because you need a good face. Uh, uh, you need a good uh, seal. By the way, what does a walrus and a respirator like have in common? What do they both like? They like seals, good seals, all right? Bad, dad joke, I know. But uh, anyway, 
you inhale. And if you have the uh, cartridges on there, you have a good seal, you're going to create a negative pressure in here, and then air is going to rush in, and God willing, it goes through whatever cartridges you have on. All right? That's how that works. And with that, you also have, this is a filtering face piece respirator, colloquially known as, and this is a P100 uh, uh, fil filtering face piece respirator, right? Now, what people don't realize is that, uh, no, and I got a phone call the other day uh, from a client. Jim, do we have to have fit testing for filtering face piece respirators? You call them dust masks. I said, if it is a NIOSH certified thing, guess what? You need to have a fit test. You need to have medical monitoring. You need to have training. Uh, did you do an assessment? Yeah, well, what did the assessment say? Well, we were going to be over a PEL. I said, well, technically, could you use this over a PEL? Yeah, technically. However, I don't like to do things technically. If you actually have... You're over PEL. I always recommend one of these over a permissible exposure limit, which means you have to do some type of an assessment. And you also have the full face air purifying respirator. Hold on a second here. You have this right here, full face fees respirator. All right, now you have to do, before you start doing anything else, you have to develop a, uh, you have to do an assessment of some sort. What is an assessment? And some of the uh, standards out there have mandatory guidelines before you do an assessment. Two of them are lead, and the other one is respirable crystalline silica, where before, while you're doing the assessment, you have to do certain things. So depending on what work you're doing. So certain jobs require a half face, some a full face, or what they say in the standard sometimes is something with a protection factor of 10 or a protection factor of 50 with that. Uh, that's uh, basically uh, what it comes down to. But you have to do an assessment. Now the question is, do you necessarily have to do a air sampling or can we get by with common sense, common sense, or calculations? Well, common sense, what, what does that mean? We're outside. We're not going to hit a PEL if we're outside. Guess what? You might hit a PEL if you're outside. <laughs> you know, it's happened. I've done it. Doesn't matter what kind, even if you're using a volatile, uh, something that gives out a volatile organic compound, you could still hit a PEL outside. Uh, you know, and I hate to go to court in front of OSHA saying, well, you mean we're outside. We don't need a restroom. No, it's baloney. Ask bridge painters who are outside, right, if they need it, or asbestos evaders. All right. So you have to do an assessment. Now, can you do calculations? I have seen it happen in very, very limited, rare cases. And they got, uh, uh, what we ended up having to do was call up OSHA for a consultation and say, look, this is what we're going to do. This is what we're going to do. And we were in a certain setting where we couldn't really wear respirators because it would have uh, freaked a lot of people out. And we got, no, and they, and guess what? 
OSHA went and, uh, 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 no, they said, well, what's your reason? Hey, this is what we're doing. You call for a consultation. They're there to help you. They're not there to screw you. They like to answer questions like that. So we got a consultation. They said, oh, yeah, no, no problem. Based on your calculation, who did them? Certified industrial hygienists. Oh, certified industrial hygienists, your things. And okay, you don't need a respirator in that case. All right. And it was for a very limited uh, job, right? Extremely, you know, one time thing. They're going to require some type of actual air samples. The overwhelming majority of times, uh, no, I'm, you know, so one time, which I just described, was the only time in 32 years that they ever said okay. Right, so otherwise you have to do some type of air sampling, also known as an industrial hygiene audit. Sometimes you may be able to get away, depending on the contaminant, with actual air monitoring with a real-time monitoring equipment, depending on the case. What's the moral of the story? You gotta get somebody out there that knows what the hell they're doing. That's the moral of the story. It can't be someone off of TikTok or Instagram. Most of, or, you know, one of the other ones. But, uh, so you must update the program as necessary. So I uh, tell everybody at least once a year, January, mark it off first week of January, figure it out. Now reevaluate things. You must designate a program administrator in writing who is qualified by the appropriate training or experience to administer or oversee the program and conduct the required program evaluations. You must provide respirators, training, and medical evaluations at no cost to the employee. So if you're going to be requiring respirators and respiratory protection, you got to have the training and medical evaluations at no evaluations. Now, in, let's say that you have voluntary use of respirators. You have to go uh, do what I do. Uh, I have the employee, I go run them through a respiratory awareness class, how to use the respirator. And I go to appendix D of the standard and there are four or five things on there. And I go over the four or five things with them. And then they sign off that they, and I, I no. what I do is I print out the regulation, the appendix D and I just have them sign, print, sign and date. You're, this is what the regulation, you've been told what to do, how to do it, limitations, appropriateness and everything else now is voluntary. But if you're going to do that, you better make damn sure your ducks are in the row in a row with this. And there is no actual respiratory hazard with this. So the employer may provide respiratory at an employee's request or permit employees to use their own respirators. If they determine that such use in itself will not create a hazard. If voluntary use is permissible, go to appendix D. Right, must establish and implement those elements of a written program necessary to ensure the employee is medically able to use the employer respirator and that it is clean, stored, and maintained so it does not present a health hazard to the user. Now, I shared this story a couple of times. Uh, it actually happened. This is not a baloney story. Pardon me. I gotta get something to drink here. So uh, when this program first started back in March 2001, I had, no, I was was just getting my pace going, and we had a death in the family. My mother-in-law died. And forget about it, it was a nightmare. It was, you know, the week before Easter, trying to find a minister to do a nightmare. 
And we did not have, and it was through during the height of COVID. So we had the funeral, and we had the entire church packed. Well, the one thing we did not have was we did not have enough pallbearers. So what, I, we end, what ended up happening was we had to get the supply of pallbearers from the funeral home. Okay, that's great. And, uh, no, there weren't enough. No, it's okay, so my brother-in-law and I are comforting our families, right? Everyone's so upset. This is a shocking thing. We're coming out of the funeral. And we have a guy that puts a face covering on, basically. Let's say, I don't have one sitting here, but one of those dust masks, right? Literally like a imitation surgical mask. You like buy for a quarter in Home Depot, that sort of thing. He puts it on. And I know just based on what I do for a living, what we share here, that on paper, someone could have a problem if they're not medically fit to wear a respirator. That's why we send them out for medical evaluation. So what do you think happens? The guy puts on one of these things, is carrying the coffin, he has some type of duress or a seizure or something because he's wearing this thing, he can't catch his breath, blah, 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 blah. And the guy looked healthy. I not think any of that. And he drops the coffin coming out of the church, coming down the stairs. So I said, holy shit, this, guy, this could happen. And, uh, you know, so that's why you get that. Uh, no, it's, it actually happens in real life where people wear this. Second thing I'm going to say is this. I'm not, I'm not encouraging people to smoke. It's that you have people with the e-cigarettes and the vapor, and they're vaping and everything. I've had a number of 19-year-olds fail, who are always vaping, fail a medical evaluation. They can't do the pulmonary function test. However, I've never had a 19-year-old smoker fail one. 32 years just to let you know uh with that uh so uh i'm just just my experience you could go with it what you want but that's my experience uh so these are basically the eight different areas selection why are you doing this medical evaluation fit testing talk about in a minute so you got to choose the right uh respirator for what you're doing and you have to get a NIOSH-certified respirator that should be used in compliance with the conditions of the certification. We're going to talk about that in a minute. Identify the respiratory hazards and where you cannot, uh, where exposure cannot be identified or reasonably estimated in the atmosphere shall be considered IDLH, immediately dangerous to life and health, which means you have to have a supplied air respirator with a backup system. So a blast hood is not, it's a supplied air respirator, but it does not have a backup system, so you cannot use it in an immediately dangerous to life and health situation, way it is. So NIOSH certified. This is where people get into problems. There are certain uh, websites out there and everything where... They sell things... Uh, no, one of them is named after a river in South America. And then you have other ones out there. And they're, se they're selling respirators really cheap. And the uh, brand that I saw recently was an off-brand. It even had the same 
part numbers they use as the legitimate NIOSH certified respirator, except they were not NIOSH certified. Here we have one right here. Looks really cool, right? That nice blue thing on there. Not, uh, at the, when I bought this, it was not NIOSH certified. But however, it was like real cheap. But I was looking at it and said, you know, let me buy that because it'll be good for training. I'll share it with the people on there here. Uh, this is, I've had this for about a year. Not NIOSH certified. Uh, so what does it come uh, down to? It's not NIOSH certified. Couple of things here you have to consider. Not NIOSH certified, and people were uh, during the pandemic. They were saying face coverings. These face coverings are not NIOSH certified. If you're in the workplace and you're handing out stuff, right? These, like I said, these imitation surgical masks, these non-NIOSH rated things. Then what don't you have to do? You don't have to do the 1910-134 standard. That's how it's being interpreted. I'm not saying it's right. I'm not saying it's wrong. But that's how it's interpreted. right? And I think, and this is a little bit conspiratorial, I think that's partially why they were okay with employers not just issuing non-NIOSH-rated things. The other thing is they didn't have enough to go around because in 2010 they got rid of the national stockpile of masks of dust masks and all this other stuff. And then by when we needed it, it was all expired, and you know how it is, so you're not going to hand someone an expired thing uh, with that. Uh, that was part of it. Now, had employers, and your employers said, here, go and use this N95, or in this case, an uh, P100 respirator, guess what? Now you have to go comply with the entire respirator standard. Huh? A little bit. A little bit conspiratorial, but not conspiratorial, right? Uh, I'm stating the obvious there uh, with that. Uh, and this is where a lot of workplaces got into uh, ha uh, problems. Now, with N95 uh, uh, respirators, which is what they were recommending for medical use, you had a couple of different types. So what kind we have there in the picture is a construction respirator on there. All right, that's for construction and 95. We're going to talk about this in a little bit here. They were saying you're not allowed to have a exhalation valve because if you're sick, now you're expelling things. Now, a medical N95, uh, N95 respirator, right, filtering face piece respirator, has an added uh, rating on it. It has a, so an N95 is NIOS certified. The medical one has an additional rating for moisture, for liquids on there. So it's resist a little bit more. So there's an additional rating on that for that. And right now, most of the hospitals that I'm aware of have that, that I've been in, thank God I haven't been in too many of them, uh, have that now. So the selection of respirators, right, and I have to be NIOSH, uh, you have to have a identify and evaluate the respiratory hazards in the workplace, including a reasonable estimate of employee exposures and identification of contaminants, chemical state, and physical form where exposures cannot be done. IDLH. Now, this is where we shared a story a couple of months ago where an employer did not do the uh, exposure assessment correctly. 
here. And they actually did air sampling. They just didn't do it correctly. Uh, and it could not be uh, uh, verified and wasn't scientific. And they got cited by OSHA for that. IDLH atmosphere is an atmosphere that poses an immediate threat to life and would cause irreversible adverse health effects or would impair an individual's ability to escape from a dangerous atmosphere. Now, you can also have what is called an oxygen-deficient atmosphere. An air-purifying respirator does not supply oxygen. So an atmosphere with an oxygen content below 19.5% by volume, and all oxygen-deficient atmospheres are considered IDLH, which means you need to have supplied air respirators, with a backup system uh, built in. You have what are called assigned protection factors here. Now, that's, uh, we're going to go right here. So what is an assigned protection factor? You take the permissible exposure limit, and again, we're, we didn't go into this, but maybe in a, another program we'll go into permissible exposure limits. You have a permissible exposure limit, PEL, that's the regulatory limit established by OSHA. Now, NIOSH, had National Institute for Occupational Safety and Health, Division of the CDC, also has a standard called a recommended exposure limit, and those are normally based on a 10-hour exposure or 8-hour exposure. I believe it's 10 hours on that. And then you have the American Conference of Governmental Industrial Hygienists, ACGIH, that have the TLV, threshold limit value those and we're going to go overtime on this so i'm going to be releasing this on the uh, podcast so you have an air purifying respirator uh for an air purifying respirator you have right a protection factor of five so you're able to go the pel times five whatever that is and then usually an action level is half of that because you put in the safety margin then you have an air purifying mat, uh, respirator. Half mask is 10. So this give, with, gives you the same protection as this with the P100 cartridges, at least on paper. All right. But again, it's half. That is what it's going to be. Then you have a full face respirator. And it goes on and on and on uh, with that. And who, how does it apply? The APF category includes filtering face feces and elastomeric face feces. Uh, the, the, all right, so assigned protection factors. You must use the APFs listed in the table we just looked at now to select the respirator that meets or exceeds the required level of protection. When using a combination respirator, a, an airline with an air purifying filter, you must ensure that the air purifying uh, air, uh, the APF, assigned protection factor, is appropriate to the mode of operation. So in other words, you kind of know what the hell you're doing. It's bottom line with OSHA. You kind of know what the hell you're doing. And you're also able to give what is called a maximum use concentration. That's what we just described here. MUC, maximum use concentration. That's what we just described, which is the air, that's your not to exceed limit on there. All right, so if, let's say your PEL is for benzene, the uh, multi maximum use concentration is, uh, the PEL is one. So you take the one times 10, you get the maximum use concentration with a half-face respirator at 10. All right, but the thing is, uh, 
with that, no, so on paper that looks great, but in the benzene standard, right, and all these other standards, I believe the benzene, that's going to be worth it. Let me look that up. Hold on. Do, do, do. Because I know I'm going to get comments on that. Benzene is not a good thing. So we're going to go to the OSHA website right now. We're going to go into the standards. And boom, boom, boom. Laws and regulations and general industry. And we're going to go edit, find, and we're going to do benzene 1910.28. I got a comment on here about that too. Someone just did it, right? The cleaning and repair of barges, blah, blah, blah. Permissible exposure limits, uh, one part per million, eight hour time weighted average, and regulated areas. We have a STEL. We have initial monitoring, periodic monitoring, termination of monitoring, additional monitoring. You have to notify the employees of results, especially if you do air monitoring with them or air sampling. And you have to have a written compliance program, respiratory protection program. Edit, find. So this is another one, right? With this, you have, let me do a share screen here. Do window. Yes, this is safety words. We do everything here like this. So as you can see, this is 1910.1028, the benzene standard. Uh, and it gives you all different types of stuff in here uh, associated with engineering controls, with work practice controls. Uh, uh, let's do an edit find. Let's see. All right. Here we have respiratory, respirator selection. Employers must select and provide to employees the appropriate respirators specified in the respirator standard. Provide employees with any organic vapor gas mask or... Any self-contained breathing apparatus with a full face piece uh, to use for escape, right? Use an organic vapor cartridge for a canister with powered or non-powered air purifying respirators and a chin-style canister with full face piece gas meat, uh, mass. Sure, canisters used with non-powered air purifying respirators, right? have the minimum service life of four hours when tested at 150 ppm benzene and a flow rate, and it gives you on that. So, again, how do you know that your respirator is no good uh, or the cartridges are no good? It's because you have to do some type of air sampling, and you have to figure out what the end of service life is on there through calculations. Or... Uh, I, th I believe some companies do have what is called an indicator badge on the cartridge itself that tells you it's no good. 
with that. Uh, the respirator is oh no, uh, uh, no good, right? And then it requires medical surveillance for benzene, a separate than from then the one for uh, medical monitoring. So don't, let's not get those confused. Going on and on and on with that uh, here. Now, the reality is this. If I know that I'm going to be above a PEL, especially for a vapor, my preference is always recommend full-face respirators. Just as just me, the way I operate here, because why? Uh, Half-face respirators, people do not, uh, people get themselves into situations that they probably shouldn't get themselves into. So this is the other thing. Uh, the problem with respirators is that you get this, uh, I'm all powerful because I'm wearing a respirator. And that's, you know, that's not a good thing, guys, with that. And let's go back to this. Hold on. Side by side. And... Okay, so that's not a good thing. Now, where you get people, oh, I'm all powerful on this, right? And I can do this. That's the first time I saw that was 1983 in a fire in Amboy, uh, uh, New Jersey. It was a chemical fire, and they were giving people paper dust masks, like uh, comfort masks is what they used to be called. Uh, going on, calculations. You can look at this again right on... The uh, uh, right on the OSHA website. The other thing is this uh, you got to be careful with these calculations that they give you here because who know because you may be over like uh, an IDLH with the maximum use concentration on paper, maybe over an IDLH, which means you got to have somebody who knows what the hell they're doing with all this stuff. And a service life indicator. This one is from an American optical uh, respirator cartridge from the mid-1990s. And this is for mercury. Uh, with that, how do you think I know that? Because I have here, right on my wall, former site of General Electric Vapor Lamp Company Mercury Vapor Lamps. Maybe I'll throw up a picture on it somewhere. Atmospheric supplying re respirators for atmospheric viewers not containing... IDLH, right? And end of service life indicator or some type of a change schedule on there. Now, this is where people get all upset and get their, you know, get upset. Our classes of non-powered air purifying particulate filters. We're talking filtering face fuse respirators like this or a P100 filter like This. I don't know how this is going to appear on the air, but this is magenta. Now, case in point here, and this is, again, a very controversial thing I'm going to say here. And I know that we got to get people into the skill, Rasmussen skills mode if we can at all possible. Right, That's our goal, where they're working on uh, low attention to detail and high familiarity to a task. But we do not... You, I do not use colors, right? So normally you would say, well, we could color code things. We could color code the respirators. We could color code the masks. We could color code this. We could color code that. I argue against it 
Now you can say, well, Jim, why do you argue against color codes? Very simple. Something like 1 in 12 men, 1 in 10 men is colorblind. Women have a different statistic. I forget offhand what that is. not important. All right. You can hold up this respirator cartridge. All right. This is a North. And how would you describe that? The legal name is magenta. It's named after magenta was a color named uh, after the Battle of Magenta in Italy in the late 1800s. But I digress. All right. So I've, I hold this up in my classes, and they're like, well, this is pink. That's pink, Jim. That's, and again, we're getting close to the end here uh, with this. Uh, so what I'm going to do is, for you people on Safety FM, I'm going to put in our end of program thing, and then we're going to be right back with that. Safety Wars is streaming now. SafetyFM.com The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the host and its guest and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the company. Examples of analysis discussed within this podcast are only examples. They should not be utilized in the real world as the only solution available as they are based only on very limited and dated open source information. Assumptions made within this analysis are not reflective of the position of the company. No part of this podcast may be reproduced, stored in a retrieval system, or transmitted in any any form or by any means, mechanical, electronic, recording, or otherwise, without prior written permission of the creator of the podcast, Jay Allen. Okay, we're back. All right, so I hold this cartridge up. It's a North cartridge. I ask people, what color is it? I get the whole, no, all the colors in the rainbow here. Right? It's magenta, it's pink. It's purple, it's violet, it's this, it's that, the whole nine yards. And what happens is, it's confusion. I tell people, use the proper names of what the equipment you're using is. Use the proper names. If it's P100, call it P100. This way, there's no P100. The second thing is this. This is a... Cartridge is all done, right? Made by the same manufacturer. You have, I'm holding it up. If you're uh, not on, uh, uh, not on uh, uh, the video, I'll describe it to you. I'm holding it up. Green label. All right, green. This one with the green label is for mercury vapor. It has the indicator uh, badge on it. The end of service life indicator. This is uh, for something not mercury vapor, but guess what? Green labor, label. We've had situations come up already where people have grabbed the wrong cartridge because they saw green label on it. Well, they need one of this one and this one. The other thing is this. What color is that cartridge? Is it gray or is it black i hear people say get a black cartridge well guess what this manufacturer here uses gray and black for all their cartridges practically used to not be that way but today it is and guess what black 
this is a this one covers all different types of stuff. You may not, if you call black, you get a regular organic vapor cartridge. All right. And now you have a problem. Wrong cartridge. So always, but always, but always, always call by the right name. The other thing is this. I know, uh, you know, Todd and someone else, you know, they like to, go, I believe, I, I, I can't really, I shouldn't say, but I believe that they, no, he, on a couple of podcasts, he mentioned you know, color codes and things of that nature. I'm not really for color coding in most uh, situations because of that. The other thing is this, 32 years, how many people in procurement do you think I've had in procurement attend a training class? Doesn't matter, small business, large business, small manufacturer, large manufacturer, small construction firm, uh, how big one, how many people do you think I've had in procurement in my classes? Trained tens of thousands of people, right? I had one that would self, that I self-identified as a procurement person. And I've been asking the question for like 15 years now, and even one from procurement here. I only had one self-identify as procurement, and that was this week during a class. And what do you think happened? I get a phone call from her. She says to me, Jimmy, right? I want to thank you for coming here because now I have an idea of what, what to look for. Now I know what to order because I was guessing before. And now I know what to order, and I can order things in confidence. I said, look, you didn't make a mistake. All your equipment was good. She says, yeah, but I was guessing. Now I'm confident that I can order the right equipment. That does not happen often in procurement. I'm just telling you. So if you are a worker, if you are a supervisor, if you're a confident person, especially if you're a confident person with anything, Make sure that when they order things, they got the right stuff. We're going to go into suits at a later date here, right, uh, specifically. And I have a story for that. You're not going to believe in it. And the thing is, uh, especially with the uh, uh, suits, you got to make sure that they're not, it's not old stock you're getting, right, because I've had clients do that also with protective clothing. So back to respirators here. Back to filtering face fees respirators. You have an N, an R, and a P, right? N, N is not resistant to oil. R is resistant to oil, and P is oil-proof, all right? Now, you may say, okay, Jim, I didn't know that. Who came up with this? OSHA came up with this. There's a huge, long... You can go back into the Federal Register and read the whole thing if you want how they came up with it. Uh, not really germane. You don't need to know that. Unless you really have a pressing need to know it, then go and do it if you're an academic. And then you have a rating on there, a 199 or 95. What does that mean? Uh, well, so NRNP, so oil particles are present. Use only RNP series. Now, that would I would include also oil coated dusts on there too, and we're going to talk about that. What why that is now? Follow the respirator filter manufacturer's service time limit re recommendations, and here we have the P one hundred. So here we have any one of those 
respirators are rated for, uh, right? So a P100 is rated for 99.97% efficient in removing non-monodisperse particles of 0.3 microns in diameter. The equivalent NIOSH 42 CFR 84 particulate filters are the N100, R100, or P100 filters, right? So that, that used to be called HEPA, right? Referred to now as N100, R100, or P100. That removes 99.97% of uh, mono dispersed uh, uh, particle, particle 0.5 micrometers in diameter. Now, they're not uh, air purifying respirator. Is not, is not rated for an IDLH situation. Does not supply oxygen. Does not supply air, right? Uh, even though people put them on, they think that they're you know they're invincible. Now, you also have. Why didn't OSHA include this on here? All right, so. Boom, boom, boom. Okay, so we're going to go back. So you have the N100, the R100, and the P100, right? That's 99.97% of particles, 0, uh, 0.3 microns, right? And then 99, 99, 99 is 99% of 0.3 micron particles. 95, 95, 95 is 95% of that. So you can have N95, R95, or P95. I've never seen a P95. Uh, no, I, I saw an R95. That's because everyone got all their crap out of their warehouses for COVID, right? With that. Now, we're going to go. I'm going to stop sharing here because there is some other information you need. And we're going to share this screen because, and again, a listener sent me this in here. I want to thank the listener. I forget his name. Uh, but what well, essentially we... Uh, uh, this you're not. This is like critical for doing what we do, especially in the uh, in the COVID nineteen world here. Uh, with this critical for training, you need to wa- look at this. You need to watch it. You need this is incredible. It's in one place, which is great. You can be organized. You don't have to go out buying obscure books and doing obscure Google things. This is all right here, right? What you're going to see. So let's do a share screen here. Do, do, do. Share screen. Right? And let's get this in here. All right. This is from... NIOSH is from N95 respirators and surgical masks. A blog post from the NIOSH science blog, October 14, 2009, by Lisa Brasu. I believe that's how you pronounce it. Brasu, Brasu, B-R-O-S-S-E-A-U, and Roland Berrian. All right. And with the ad, and this they were talking about the novel H1N1 influenza outbreak in the spring of 2009, and the expectation of a second wave during blah blah blah. That's why they're doing this. So they said, "Well, we're going to issue these guidance things, 
And this gives the history of the early surgical masks were uh, constructed from layers of surgical gauze, of uh, cotton gauze. They were first worn by surgery staff in the early 1900s to prevent contamination of open surgical wounds with their design. Uh, here, here you go. I don't know. They may be labeled as surgical. Okay, so contamination of this. Okay. With time, their design, function, and use have expanded. Today's surgical masks are worn in a wide, wide range of healthcare settings to prevent patients from uh, the wearer's respiratory, uh, uh, respiratory emissions. A surgical mask is a loose-fitting disposable device that prevents the release of potential contaminants from the user into their immediate environment. In the U.S., surgical masks are cleared for marketing by the U.S. Uh, Food and Drug Administration. So the FDA uh, is the one who you know, uh, deals with uh, uh, surgical, surgical masks stuff right they may be uh as far as marketing is concerned they may be labeled as surgical laser isolation dental or medical procedure masks they may come with or without a face shield since osha issued bloodborne pathogens standard 1910 1030 1991 surgical masks have been recommended as part of universal precautions to protect the wearer from direct splashes and sprays of infectious blood or bodily fluids the fda offers further information on surgical masks Right, and they have a click here. We're not going to... Well, maybe we should click on it. And page not found yet, probably because it's uh, 13, 15 years old, the link. Evaluation of respiratory protection against exposures here. Filter performance. Now, this is the thing that... This is what's golden about this blog posting by the Centers for Disease Control here. And... If I were you folks, I would go and share it with your team. Next time you do safety training with respirators, you, you mention this, right? How do filters collect particles? That is a critical description there. Filters do not filter out particles. It's not that you have a barrier and it can't go through the barrier. That's a little bit with the moisture rating and the liquid rating on this, on these surgical ones. All right, but how do they collect particles, right? They collect them through four different things, right, ways, right? And we still got interception, but that's not one of them. You have inertial impaction, interception, diffusion, and electrostatic attraction. That is golden. That's important. Inertial impaction. With this mechanism... Particles having too much inertia due to size or mass cannot flow, follow the airstream as it is diverted around a filter fiber. This mechanism is responsible for collecting larger particles. Boom. Good. Interception. As particles pass close to the filter fiber, they may be intercepted by the fiber. Again, this mechanism is responsible for collecting larger particles. Diffusion. Small particles are constantly bombarded by air molecules, which causes them to deviate from the airstream and come into contact with a filter fiber. This mechanism is responsible for collecting smaller particles. Wow! 
Great. Great information here. An electrostatic attraction. Oppositely charged particles are attracted to a charged fiber. This collection mechanism does not favor a certain particle size. Holy groove now. Who would have thought this out? Who comes up with this stuff? I don't know. The CDC. Now, wouldn't it have been nice had we had somebody from the CDC who was on uh, all the time go into this? Because this would be great. And it gets even better than that. It even gets better than that. Right? In all cases, once a particle comes into in contact with a filter fiber, it is removed from the airstream and strongly held by molecular attractive forces. It is very different, difficult for such particles to be removed once they are collected. As seen in figure two, there is a particle size at which none of the mechanical collection mechanisms, interception, impaction, or diffusion, which is a mechanical means, is particularly effective. This most penetrating particle size, MPVS, marks the best point at which to measure filter performance. If the filter demonstrates a high level of performance at this most penetrating particle size filter, then particles, both smaller and larger, will be collected with even higher performance. This is perhaps the most misunderstood aspect of filter performance and bears repeating. Filters do not act as sieves. One of the best tests of a filter's performance involves measuring particle collection at its most penetrating particle size, which ensures better performance for both larger and smaller particles. Further, the, the further the filter's collection efficiency is a function of the size of the particles and is not dependent on whether they are bioaerosols or inert particles. Great. Why couldn't they tell us this years ago? Then we wouldn't be uh, finding it. So anyone want to make a guess what that particle diameter is? Come on, come on. 0 0.3 microns. So people say, well, why is it there? they always say that 0 0.3 microns? That's the most difficult particle size for this stuff to work on. When I meet God, one of my questions is going to be, Jesus, when, why did you set things up this way? Right? Because, you know, through you, all things were made. Right? John chapter 1. Why did you make it this way? 0 0.3, and I'm, I want an answer on that, because why, would, why wouldn't it be 0 0.2? Why wouldn't it be 0 0.1? Why wouldn't it be 0 0.5? Why if it wasn't 0 0.3, right? So we have a nice graph here. We have right 0 0.1, right, right here, and I'm, yeah, I'm pointing on here. Then you have diffusion and interception, right there, right, with the particle size, right, particle size 1 micron, and then here you have diffusion and interception where it dips down. That is 0 0.2, 0 0.3. Right there, that's the lowest rate. Now, here's the kicker. As you go down into here, right, you have efficiency on the, on the y-axis here. So on the x-axis, you have particle diameter. Y-axis, you have efficiency. One 
is think of it as 100%. Because it's logarithmic. Now, my question is this. What size is a viral particle? Come on. Come on, do I have to play the Jeopardy theme here? Which is, by the way, I can't because it's, uh, you know, copyrighted and trademark and that whole thing. All right, but basically what it comes down to is this. It's a part, a coronavirus particle is one order of magnitude smaller, meaning 0. 0. 0, uh, uh, right, 0. It's smaller than that, 0.0. Two, right? So you're uh, getting over here into here where you're at 100% filter efficiency with a respirator for that, right? So 0.1, right? And then it goes all the way down. As you get, you, the smaller the particle size, the more efficient it becomes. And the when it's with diffusion, that's how diffusion works. So this is why an N95 mask, even though I would appreciate a P100 mask, right? This is why it works for viral particles, why you're approaching that. Really good. I know it took us uh, a while to get here, but we're there, right? We're there. We're on our way to safety utopia. I think that's trademark term, but anyway. Okay. With that, so... That's something you want to do. So you want to go out there, and uh, and it goes into how things are in there. Uh, but the thing is, this is my issue here. We come back to what is safety as with this stuff, right? What is safety? Is safety zero accidents, zero illnesses, zero injuries? Or is it a bunch of controls? We go down the hierarchy of controls here with this. And we go and we figure things out. Uh, with that, you know, uh, you have multiple things, especially with COVID. Now let's go back to here. So now you know all you need to know about filtering face to use respirators. Do you need to do fit testing on them? Absolutely. Do you need medical monitoring on them? Absolutely. Uh, if you don't want to do that, then you're, uh, you know, huh. you're doing your uh, employees and your charges of this uh, service here. And do the sharing. All right. Gotta love it. All right. I'm probably going to edit that one out and put it as a standalone. Now, rest for, uh, now this was a little bit of trivia for you. That, back when this was all being uh, uh, put through the regulatory process, right? Physician or other licensed healthcare professional has to uh, do the evaluation. Uh, so a couple of states had to change their laws on here because in some states, a licensed healthcare professional was the first HCPR provider. Right? Or a certified person. So uh, medical evaluation must provide a medical evaluation to determine employees' ability to use a respirator before fit testing and use must identify a person who uh, performed medical evaluations using a medical questionnaire. We all know that questionnaire. The first line on that is 
can you read English? And it's in English, right? Or an, and an initial medical, if you can't read English, then how would you know what that means? You know, it's like, fuck. Medical evaluation must obtain specific information requested. So they go through as a very detailed thing. And you have to uh, have here. What is it review? An annual review of medical status is not required, right? Not required at a minimum. The employer must provide additional medical evaluations. If the employer reports medical signs or symptoms related to the ability to use the respirator, the uh, 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 licensed uh, healthcare provider, uh, supervisor, program administrator informs the employer that an employee needs to be uh, evaluated. So, you know, if they needed that information from the respiratory respirator program, including observations made during fit testing program, evaluation needs to... Uh, finds a need, or changes occur in the workplace conditions that may substantially increase the physiological burden on an employee. Uh, so, for example, you put that thing on, it's going to, you know, it causes stress. I mean, your blood pressure goes up. This goes up. That goes up. causes stress on the body with that. Uh, before an employee uses any respirator with negative or positive pressure type fitting faces, they have to, the employee must be fit tested with the same make model style and size of a respirator that will be used. Here we have a quantitative fit test going on here where you're hooked up to a computer and it gives you a number. Then you have a qualitative one. In this case would be, uh, someone getting hit with irritant smoke. That in itself is a, uh, controversial thing. Uh, but I prefer irritant smoke. I'm going to be honest because I've been lied to already uh, on this stuff. Do you smell that? No, I don't smell anything. And then before you know it, the guy has an overexposure and is in the hospital. And then he says, well, I told you I smelled everything. And I, well, and this is where it says if you're going to use some type of challenge agent like saccharin, butimin, I believe that's how you pronounce it, or something like that, you better make damn sure on that fit test record that it says that they swear that they didn't smell anything because I saved my client and my uh, employer millions in lawsuits because we had a whole bunch of people lie. And oh, by the way, OSHA citation also. We had people lie, every every employee, oh, we smelled, no, and then at, a month later after the fit testing, after someone ended up in the hospital, and some people might have been overexposed, right? Well, we told you that, we those, that what well, we smelled everything, and I said, ha, 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 and here's the paper, you said you don't smell anything, and that's good, and you were all trained, and everything, you all showed up with certificates, I don't want to hear it, uh, that didn't go too far in court, right, with that. Uh, yes, I used to be a complete jerk. Employees using tight-fitting face-to-use respirators must, and I'm not an attorney and I'm not giving legal advice here, must pass an appropriate qualitative fit test or quantitative fit test, and it has to be done at least annually thereafter, and more if there's like a, a, a change in physical condition, phys- facial scarring, cosmetic surgery, gain weight, lose weight, and anything else that may impact a respirator fit. And they have, here we have isoamyl acetate, AKA banana oil, saccharin vitrex, irritant smoke. And then you have qualitative uh, fit test protocols. And that's all different types of things there. And then you have a fit factor that's on there. 
You can go and look that up on there. Now, this is another controversial thing. You go into a workplace. Now, again, they said, everybody wear face coverings during COVID, right? And you go in there and a guy has like a ZZ top beard, right? Oh, yeah. I'm looking at me. I'm protected. Okay, better than nothing, but you have to have a tight-fitting face piece on there. When, when, and when you have a face-to-face piece seal, has to be tight. That means clean-shaven. This, never pass on that, right? And no, then people come up with things. We're going to put this on the face. We're going to put a barricade, barrier cream. We're going to do this. It's like, dude, just shave. Now, in some cases, because of religion, they can't shave, but guess what? You could have to make an accommodation for that, right? Corrective glasses or goggles or other PVE must be worn in a manner that does not interfere with face-to-face face face seal. Employees wearing, so for example, people sometimes do this. I've seen it happen, and it was done by EPA employees. Hold on. Imagine this being a pair of prescription glasses. Yeah. Right? Oh, I got something in my eye. All right. Okay. And then they go and they do this. Right? Hey, look at me. I'm protected. Well, guess what? Man is interfering with the seal. Yeah, that happens. That happens. So what? how do you remedy that? The way I remedy that is that I got LASIK surgery, right? Uh, when I was able to afford it, when it was reliable, I got LASIK surgery with that, uh, number one. Number two is that they make an insert for glasses in one of those things, right? Uh, now that you get the whole thing, well, what about contact lenses? Again, another controversial discussion out there. Some people say yes, some people say no. Uh, I say, I, you know, I... Contacts that work for me. So, I don't know. you got to check what you're doing, how you're doing it, and everything else. Uh, some say yes, some say no. Go make a decision for yourself on here. All right? So, you have to do a user seal check every time you put on the respirator. What does that mean? You have a positive pressure check. You hold the... Uh, uh, exhalation valve and you exhale, does it come apart or does it just sit there, come off your face? Negative pressure check, you go and you cl- hold the inhalation valves closed and you do a deep breath and it go, does it collapse on you, right? And that's where people uh, run into it. Again, if you're uh, going to be relying exclusively on a respirator to protect you, you're going to fail. Doesn't matter, chemical, biological, radiological, anything, you're going to fail. You have to, again, safety is a whole bunch of stuff. And this is the least effective thing is this. Try to eliminate things. Try to engineer things out. Uh, Substitution hazards, administrative even. Any of this, before you start issuing PPE, it's not always the best thing. Uh, okay, we're not doing IDLH. Uh, you guys could figure that out. Air purifying respirators. Identification, again, read the labels all the time because sometimes they send the wrong labels. Don't go by colors. And you have to have an informal training class, which 
this video could be used for some of that. And uh, da, da, da. Well, this is what you have to do. Why You have to explain why the respirator is necessary, how to fit it, use it, maintain it. What are the limitations and the capabilities of the respirator? What's the effective use in emergency situations? How do you inspect, put on and remove, and use the and check those seals? Maintenance and storage, again, either on your face or in a storage container, Ziploc bag, whatever. You don't have this stuff like the fuzzy dice on the back of a, of a uh, uh, rear view mirror. The recognition of medical signs and symptoms that may limit or prevent effective use and the general requirements of 1910.134. Training must be provided prior to use unless acceptable training has provided by another employer within the past 12 months. Don't accept anyone else's training. Train your employer, employees every time. Oh, yeah, because they bring bad habits from other companies. They may bring good habits. They may bring bad habits. So usually people bring bad habits and they get integrated into your system. Oh, well, we didn't do it there. How many times have you heard that as a safety guy? Well, at my last company, they did it this way. And after a while, you say to the guy, usually a guy, oh, they did it that way? Well, maybe they're hiring, <laughs> you know? This is the way that we do it here. We do it well, when I'm my jobs. They do it the way it's supposed to be done, right? That's the way it has to be. Otherwise, I don't do that, especially after you get letters after your name. You don't want to be messing around with this unless it's something else. Retraining is required annually, annually, and when changes in the workplace or type of respirator render previous training obsolete, when there are inadequacies in employees' knowledge or use. Now, what would be a good example of that? If the employee comes in with a full beard and wants to wear a respirator, inadequacies in employees' knowledge and use. Any other situation that arises in which retraining appears necessary and Appendix D has to be signed off on uh, with that. You have to have, again, you have to have program evaluation, talk to the employees, have good conversations with that about fit, appropriate selection, proper use, and proper maintenance. Now, I would always recommend assigning each employee their own respirator with this and put the employee in charge of cleaning their own respirator. This way, if there's a problem, the employee takes some ownership here. The worst situation that you could have is somebody, uh, and this actually happened. Yeah, this, yeah, Jimmy has a lot of stories. Where we had a guy decontaminate respirators, and rather than go through the regular, oh, we're going to have a gross decontamination, then we're going to you know, clean it out with soap and water, right? Mild, not alcohol, because alcohol destroys respirators often, right? And we're going to go through them. We're going to do this, and we're going to have a rinse bucket. Then we're going to have a, a disinfectant on there, and we're going to put it up to air dry and a nice clean area. And then we're going to put it in a bag when it's done here. Rather than do that, what do you think the guy did? The guy, we had people on supplied air, and we thought it was the uh, air, bad air supply, which does happen on occasion, but not really. All right. So what do you think happened? The guy was using an industrial cleaner in a spray bottle. I'm not going to mention the name of it to decontaminate the respirators. 
All right. And he wasn't rinsing it off. He was just doing a quick spritz and wiping it down with a paper towel. People were getting rashes. People were getting headaches from the smell from that. Hey, it smells funny, blah, 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 blah. We did a big investigation, did this, did that. And the guy wasn't cooperating. And then someone said, Jimmy, I was very young when this happened. Jimmy, keep an eye on him. Just keep an eye on him. Don't make it obvious. And it turns out, yeah, he was using an industrial cleaner on that. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's like, you got to be kidding me. So that's what I got for tonight. All on respirators. We did not get to news and views. Uh, we might do that tomorrow. Uh, we may have a special Saturday broadcast here. So for Safety Wars, uh, again, Happy New Year. If I and the first time you're uh, tuning in for Safety Wars, this is uh, Jim Pozel. And let's see if I have our usual outro here ready to go. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the host and its guest and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the company. Examples of analysis discussed within this podcast are only examples. They should not be utilized in the real world as the only solution available as they are based only on very limited and dated open source information. Assumptions made within this analysis are not reflective of the position of the company. No part of this podcast may be reproduced, stored in a retrieval system, or transmitted in any form or by any means, mechanical, electronic, recording, or otherwise, without prior written permission of the creator of the podcast, Jay Allen. Good night, everybody. Have a great weekend.